0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Hi, I'm Anand Patel
2: and I'm Naomi Sheldon
1: and we're your hosts of the Pleasure Podcast I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function
2: and I'm a writer with an interest in the internet.
1: We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy
2: it's a whole new kind of sex education, for your owl… Careful. …pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Episode 2 of The Pleasure Podcast. This week we speak to multi-award-winning, plus-size style blogger, journalist and author Stephanie Yaboa. This year she was the cover girl on Glamour's self-love issue, and on Instagram she is making waves celebrating the bodies of plus-size black women. Her sexy, witty and insightful posts redefine accepted beauty standards and challenge the co-option of body positivity by socially acceptable white bodies. Stephanie has experienced racism and fatphobia from a young age, from being bullied at school to being fetishised and objectified in her romantic life. The way she flies in the face of these discriminations by creating a positive space for change is awe-inspiring. Her Instagram page is testament to this and is well worth checking out. Her debut book, Fattily Ever After, The Black Girl's Guide to Living Unapologetically is a love letter to plus size black women. Stephanie speaks to us about navigating life and dating as a black plus size woman and how she and others can manage to find self-acceptance when judgment and discrimination are still rife. Some of the subjects we cover can be quite disturbing and upsetting but please do listen all the way through. It's a wonderful conversation and really insightful. Your photos on Instagram use quite a lot of beautiful lingerie. Mm -hmm. I was wondering what the experience was of first pressing post Mm -hmm. um, on one of those pictures where you're, you're extremely sexy and sexual and I suppose it's the sort of clothing that you might not usually see Mm. um, plus-size women wearing?
3: Mm. It's one of the scariest things I've ever gone through. So I think the first time I did it was 2015, I think I want to say, and it was, I was doing a collaboration with Simply Be at the time for their bikinis, and so they wanted us to upload a photo of ourselves in the bikini, and I was just like, what, like, never done that before. So I remember I took As you do i took about 300 pictures (laughs) and sort of narrowed them down to the most the ones that i like the most um i came to upload it and then i just left my phone for about two days because i was like i the comment i was just petrified of doing it i came back to instagram and i was just met and inundated with so many lovely comments and positive comments and what i came to find was that the best thing for me to do sometimes in terms of if i want to try and get over a certain part of my body that I don't like I put it out into the world for everybody to see because that's like the final boss of like self acceptance I find like just sharing something that you may not like and just giving it to them and not you know having to think about it because the worst thing for me to kind of do in that situation is have somebody see it. So then I'm just like, well, why don't I just put it out? And then I have to like it because everybody else has seen it now. So then I started doing that with my stretch marks and I started doing that with like my rolls, And it became this thing where I started, just purchasing like really nice bits of lingerie and things like that. Because at the time we were starting to see loads of brands coming out with plus size lingerie that was actually nice and didn't look like maternity bras and all of these things. It was like lace and satin and peekaboo things. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what we deserve. It's what we want to be made to feel sexy and all of these things too. So then I realized that I felt my prettiest when I was wearing lingerie or a bikini. And that's something that I'd never thought I would ever feel pretty in at all and so I always say like anytime I'm asked you know what is like one way to feel confident sometimes I just say just walk around your flat or your house naked or in lingerie and just take pictures of yourself because it really does it you see yourself in a very vulnerable yet strong light And um, so now I'm just addicted to just buying nice bits of underwear. I don't buy them for anybody. I'm not, my life is not active in that way at all. So I just get them for me and just like, I'll look in the mirror and just think about how far I've come and just see my body in like really nice bits of lace and, you know, lovely material. And I'm just like, this is what my body deserves. And this is how.
2: That sounds like a wonderful act of self-love.
3: Yeah, it was definitely one of the big things that helped me learn how to love my body is just seeing it in its entirety. And treating it to those fabrics. Yes, treating it to like really pretty fabrics and things like that. It was so empowering, so empowering. So now, um, yeah, I just post them up now and not think anything of it. I have, you know, my dad, I'm pretty sure he follows me under like a a secret account yeah because there have been times where he's like Steph I saw this picture of you online you're disgracing the family and me and my mom were just in the corner just laughing because my mom like she's used to it now she's just like oh Steph you look amazing but yeah sometimes I get a bit like oh my gosh my family members are going to see this and my ex-colleagues who follow me are going to see this um and I get a bit like oh I don't want them to see it I don't mind anybody else seeing it but it's like the people that you know like older members of the family no i just don't give a shit like but
2: would it be too worthy of me to say what you're doing is political as well really
3: yeah i think it is i mean me existing in this body is political in itself me having this afro hair is political even though i don't want it or mean for it to be it just is because of how people view me so i feel like well if i'm in this political radical body i might as well use my voice and try and incorporate change and normalize certain bodies as well, because I think part of me um, wearing bikinis and, and underwear in public is to normalise bigger bodies. You know, we open up catalogues and we'll see when you want to buy underwear, it's always slimmer models that are um, advertising the underwear and things. And it's just like, we need to see bigger bodies in bikinis and we need to see bigger bodies in underwear, which is why I'm such a huge fan of um, Gabby Gregg from Gabby Fresh. Um, so she's a blogger who started the whole fat bikini movement. So, Um, she's the reason why like all of us influencers have started buying bikinis and swimsuits and she's come out with her own range and so she was like really instrumental in me learning how to love myself in a bikini and so because it was normalized because we kind of live in like um, an echo chamber online of like fat women who look amazing so it was normalized for me to just see loads of fat women in bikinis and i didn't think anything of it i just thought these people are beautiful and so i was like okay the platform that i have the majority of people that follow me on instagram are slim um so i was like okay i'm gonna expose you guys to my fat yes and it's just come across really really well and people seem to really like it and so i'm just like well yes just normalise bigger bodies. And I was wondering when you first started taking selfies? So I first started taking selfies in my second year of uni. Um, because I got like a brand new Sony Ericsson phone. It was a, like a really good camera phone and I was really interested in photography back when I was um, in uni because doing law, I had to have a creative <laughs> a creative out- outlook. So I started doing a lot of photography on my phone and then I started taking just like random selfies because of, you know, MySpace, you know, I always had to have a really good selfie pose for MySpace and things like that. Um, but funnily enough, I think when it came to selfies, they weren't the things that helped me I guess, find my confidence because even back then I was still incredibly insecure about how I looked. And, you know, I'll freely admit it, like back then, I used to like try and alter my appearance, like post, like after I'll upload them, like I'll either like make my nose smaller or I'll try to streamline my jawline a bit or artfully blur out the photo so that you can't really see my features and things like that. And I found that when I was in uni, the more photos I took, the more I began to be a bit more insecure about how I looked. Huh. Yeah, back then I would take a lot of selfies just to kind of assess how I was looking and that, that kind of thing. And then after a while, I stopped doing it. So, okay, um, check. Were the
1: selfies for you or for other people?
3: For me, mostly. That's so
2: interesting. Yeah. Like a mirror. Like, what? Are you, what is the world seeing?
3: Yeah, because even before I started uni, I never took pictures. I didn't like being in photos. From the age of about 11 onwards, when I was very conscious about how I looked. School was really traumatic for me. There was a lot of really horrible things that happened that made me hate it. and. I almost felt like I was brainwashed into thinking that there was something wrong with me because they would always say, oh, you know, you are you look like a gorilla and other sort of racially motivated insults. Um, they always commented on how dark I was compared to the other sort of mixed race and light skinned girls in school. They would say stuff like, oh, you know, you'll never find someone you're just gonna grow old and die and who's gonna find you attractive. And these are things that I internalized as I got older. I was like, "Nope, I don't wanna be in any pictures.
1: What spurred that in your second year that made you want to look at yourself?
3: I think it was MySpace. I think it was when I joined it and um, I was like, I don't know, I was just like mad for it, the whole social media thing. I was obsessed at looking through people's profile pictures and everybody had a specific pose that they were doing, (laughs) like a trendy pose of the the time. And I was like, I want to join in on that and feel part of the people, feel normal almost. Um, And so I just started taking... Uh, selfies to kind of um copy the poses that they were doing and just kind of get into that whole yeah my space top eight friend kind of world because i mostly lived online when i was younger as well i was just so introverted that i feel like most of my life was just spent chatting to people across the world as well so yeah i almost felt like i had to keep up appearances so offline i've always been very very um Introverted, didn't really have any friends because of the whole bullying thing, so I kind of shut myself down. I didn't really know who I was or what my personality was. I was so quiet, and I became very depressed. I developed um, depression when I was 14, um, and I was just this sort of empty shell, and then I found that being online when all of these social media sites started popping up like Bebo and and High Five and Myspace all of these things I I almost felt like oh I can like be whoever I want to be online. A bit disembodied sort of. Yeah I could create this whole persona and eventually at one point I ended up being a catfish. Yeah I, I was a catfish. I took some random person's picture and joined this um, message board And was just pretending to be this girl because I was like, I don't want anybody to see what I really look like. And what was the girl? Who was the girl? She was this very slim, sort of mixed race girl, very pretty, long black hair, very, very pretty. Like all of the, um, because the website that I was on, this message board was like a really small community. And it was kind of like London based teenagers. So everybody kind of knew each other. We always used to go on to the same site every day and... When I signed up, I became this new person, and everyone wanted to talk to me. And I was able to kind of let my personality come out a lot more. And it felt really good until I liked somebody and they liked me back. And then it got to that point where it was like, okay, let's meet. And then I think somebody found the original picture and they exposed me. They exposed me on the site. And then I came clean, and the guy was absolutely heartbroken. Like, we'd been speaking for like nine months. He was heartbroken, didn't speak to him again. And then it was like a year ago, we found each other on Twitter. So now we talk all the time, <laughs> which was like a full circle moment. Um, but yeah, I found that online was where I was able to really hone in on my personality, I think. Because on one hand, yes, it was a bit um, detached from reality. But I was able to kind of meet people and talk to people who had similar personality tropes to me and yeah. yeah, it really helped me come out of my shell. When I finished uni, um, I went, I moved back home and I, the body positivity movement hadn't really started sort of, it wasn't really that popular back then. What year are we talking about? Um, so this was 2010, 2011 and I started doing what I thought people my size had to do. So it was the dieting, it was the exercising. I started a Tumblr page and that was gonna be my page where I documented my weight loss and my detoxing and my fasting and my starvation things, all these things that I thought were good things. And it was on Tumblr that I started seeing loads of hashtags, fat acceptance, body positivity, all of these things. And I was just like like what's that I don't really understand what they're doing saw loads of pictures of other plus size women looking amazing and while I was still dieting and doing all of those things I still remembered those images in my mind Um, and I think my breakthrough for me was when I because I have this sort of yearly thing now where I try and go and go on holiday for my birthday because back when I was younger I didn't really celebrate it and when I would invite people they would never come and so I was like I'm just gonna go on holiday <laughs> and so I wanted to go and stay with my uncle in Barcelona and I before then I'd never been on a beach before and I was like oh I, I really want to go on a beach but then to go on a beach you need to have a bikini body and and all of these sort of really toxic lies, <laughs> lies. and so I thought okay well it's four months until my birthday I'm gonna just diet like I've never dieted before um, I started taking um, loads of laxatives my aunt who was such an enabler who I don't speak to now <laughs> um, she supplied me with loads of pills some sort of appetite suppressant pills yeah but I'm pretty sure that they were illegal I'm not sure yeah uh, but I took them I ended up losing four stone I think um, in four
1: months wow yeah
3: I, I was really extreme went to barcelona i remember taking a picture i bought like this pink bikini i looked great but my mental health was terrible and i I came back to the uk and i would that's when i was like i've done all of this to my body like my body really suffered i was throwing up but yet my body was still here trying to keep me alive and that's when i was like i kind of put placed my body separate to me and i was like wow like I've literally been just doing a lot of self-harm, but you're still here trying to keep me alive. And I wrote like this whole letter to my body. I was like, I'm so sorry for putting you through so much and putting my heart through this and my liver through this and all of these things. And that's when I was like, do you know what? I, I need to try and do better and learn how to love myself because the love didn't appear once I lost weight. When was your
2: first romantic relationship?
3: When I was 25. Yeah. 25 was my first ever relationship. I'd gone on like five dates before then from the age of 22 to 25. Um, all terrible. Um, they were all like first dates so I didn't see them again afterwards. Um, and it, oh, I just remember them like it happened yesterday. It all consisted of meeting up with guys. Again, this was when online dating was like, kind of a new thing but people didn't want to admit that they had met someone through online dating kind of thing um so it was it was okay cupid and plenty of fish and um i met these guys and it was a thing where i'd always i was at a point in my life where i was doing the whole body positivity thing i felt pretty confident about myself and so i was like i'm just gonna put full-length pictures of myself because why not i'm not here to trick anybody or anything like that and so all of these guys knew what I looked like but then when it came to meeting them, so there was one occasion where I met somebody outside the London Aquarium because we wanted to go to the aquarium for our date, why not and as I was walking towards him he could see me and I could just see the light just go out in his eyes and then he said, you're a lot fatter than you look in real life and I was just like, but you know what I look like and he was just like yeah, I don't think I could deal with this. And then he walked away. And then I sort of walked back to the bus stop on the bridge and kind of just a single tear just rolled down my face. And I tried not to let it deter me because I was like, look, I'm 22, 23. I've never been kissed. I've never had any kind of Um, intimate or sexual relation, like anything at all. And all, you know, all the people around me, I'm seeing them, you know, get into relationships and all of these things. So I'm not going to try and let it deter me. So then I went on a few more dates and yeah, it was all the same thing. It was all guys mentioning my weight. And then I received a message on plenty of fish from this guy. So I, I saw the message and I just ignored it for about three weeks. And then he sent another message and which I laughed at. So then I just kind of begrudgingly started talking to him online and then we met up, and I remember I hid in a WH Smith in Victoria Station <laughs> because
1: I was- I know the exact WH Smith yeah. you mean. Yeah,
3: because I'm, so I'm somebody that, if I go on dates, I want to get there early because I don't want them to see me coming and then to see them, see the light sort of die, kind of. I want to be sitting down and then they can come up to me and all of that stuff. And I sort of texted him like, where are you? He was like, I'm two minutes away. And I started panicking because I, he told me he was coming from like Denmark Hill or somewhere. And I was like, Oh, that's going to take a long time, which apparently it was just one stop away. And so I was like, shit, I don't want him to see me. So I just ran into W.H. Smith and was kind of pretending to read magazines and things. And then he called me and he was like, Steph, I can see you. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And I looked up and because he's like six foot six and I could just see him just like waving. Brilliant. And I was just like. <laughs> and, then I, I, and it was something that he kept bringing up. Anytime people asked us where we met or how we met, he'd be like, oh yeah, I found her hiding in W.H. Smith. Yeah, and I was just like, he seems happy to see me. So then we went on the date, the date was amazing. And yeah, to cut a long story short, we were together for two and a half years, moved in together, the whole, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I found it incredibly difficult to believe that he liked me. At first, I was like, oh, he must have a fetish for fat girls, that kind of thing, because you come across that a lot online. Um, Can you
1: talk a bit about that?
3: Yeah. So there's this whole sort of subculture online where people have fetishes for plus-size women. Um, A lot of them are feeders as well. So, like, feederism is like a fetish where men... And women get sexually turned on by watching their partners eat or watching them sort of not fit into clothes and things like that. And it's actively encouraged. And that's something I've personally never been into. But I would find sometimes that um, I used to get, well, not used to still, get loads of messages from men. And a lot of the time it is white men because they always mention in their message um, you know, I'm looking for, you know, I like I like your curves, I like how big you are, you must be really aggressive, you must be really sassy, I've never been with a black girl before. And so it's always these sort of little racial microaggressions that they put in their messages, um, which is just so dehumanising because it's not... While I understand and appreciate that there are women out there who are into that lifestyle, for a lot of plus size women we just want to be treated the same as everybody else, we We deserve the same love and respect and appreciation. So to kind of exist purely for the sexual benefit of somebody else can be really, really emotionally exhausting. It's literally, I'm literally being used as like a vessel for your sexual pleasure. So you don't care about me or my likes or dislikes. It's just this body. And so when I was dating my ex at the time, I was just so sceptical because I didn't, I couldn't possibly... Imagine or feel that somebody could like me the way I looked, um, and so for the longest time I was just very sort of flippant to him, and admittedly a bit mean because I think it was a protection thing. I didn't want to end up liking this person and then for them to say, "Oh, I don't like how you look," or whatever the case may be.
1: So when you're, for example, now on a dating site, uh-huh. um, uh, are you are you on? A dating site? Do you I'm feel comfortable? I'm on all the dating sites. <laughs> I'm every like, Which day.
3: one am I she's not on?
2: Out, she's available. I am
1: available <laughs> on all of them. <laughs> And so how do you now portray yourself given the experiences of your relationship that you've had?
3: I so I'm very sort of raw and down-to-earth in them. I feel like I've got a pretty good profile. So humour is kind of like the base of all of my <laughs> all, all of my profiles. I just try and come across as as funny and down to earth as possible. The only annoying thing is that I feel like I have to put a disclaimer that I'm fat. Um, because even if I do put pictures of myself or pictures where I've done photo shoots and stuff, there's still that part of me that thinks back to those experiences I had where they still saw me and didn't like me. They I shouldn't
2: saw, have to do I that. I saw this online that you say, I'm fatter in real life. Fatter in real life, Which yeah. is ex- the exact words the guy outside the aquarium used.
3: Yeah. 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 So it's something that's always kind of stayed with me. Do
2: you think there are a lot of men who um, are really attracted to to plus size women and who are a- feel because of society's standards, beauty standards, very Mm. narrow standards, Mm. that they are unable to express that desire and preference publicly.
3: Yes, I wholeheartedly believe that. Just from conversations with my friends, um, some of my plus size friends who um, are dating or married to men that are smaller, um, they've always said, you know, it was really difficult meeting their family because they were a bit embarrassed at first. And even with my ex, he was, because he's not from London, he's from Chichester. And so he was always very... um, I remember when we first started dating, he was like, you know, I've always preferred bigger girls. And like he felt when he was at university, he was going out with all the blonde haired, blue eyed, smaller girls, because that was what society expected somebody that looked like him to go out with. But he was always like, I was never sexually attracted to them. It was just like nothing was going on down there. And so I was the first girl that he that that was bigger that he'd gone out with. And so I think he found it a bit of a relief to kind of almost like, Come out and just say it nope i like I like what I like, and society you're just gonna have to deal with it, and so I do feel like there are pockets of guys who feel like that. I just feel like they should just come out and just say it. You shouldn't have to hide your preferences about somebody because not only does it make you look a bit weird, but it also makes me feel like I'm being othered. I always get so happy when I see like a plus size woman or a plus size man in a relationship um and I think it's important to kind of showcase that kind of love as well and have it normalized Uh, I mean even the other day you know there was news that um I don't know if you follow Gabourey Sidibe so she's a plus size black actress and she was in the movie Precious Ah, um and so she's got a boyfriend and it was like a trending topic because she's you know she's kind of built the same as me and and she's really like dark skinned and all of that. And then her boyfriend is like conventionally attractive and athletic and all of that. And there were people saying such horrible things and saying, oh, he doesn't really like her. He's just using her because she's an actress and all of these things. And it was just like, why does her being fat make their love less valid? And it just made me feel so horrible that there are still pockets of society that think that plus size women aren't worthy and deserving of love.
1: I'm sort of really intrigued about when is it that you get to the point where you. You almost have that permission to ask yourself for what you want. So, you know, either, um, So, I certainly didn't ask anyone out at all after seeing on, on someone's um, uh, gaydar profile. Mm. No fats, no femmes, no Asians. So, I thought that it's not for me to ask because what? I need to wait for other people to yeah. ask me. So, I'd never asked. i part one person in WH Smith's in Victoria just like that <laughs> when I was 19. Um, he said no, but it's fine. I'm over that oh. now. Um, but at least I asked. Um, I didn't ask anyone out at all, I've Uh never asked anyone out Mm -hmm. so I've been really intrigued about your story because you seem to have come to a point where you have accessed that ability to ask for what you deserve and how your needs need to be met.
3: Mm. I think you know what the biggest thing for me was Bumble because Bumble you have to ask the men out first. Um, Up until I downloaded Bumble I'd never asked out a guy I'm so afraid of rejection and almost knowing that they're going to say no, that I just, it's not in me to be that bold, so to speak, to ask somebody out. But then one of my friends is like, oh, you should download Bumble because apparently the quality of the men are a lot better and it's not as sleazy <laughs> and um, the women have to ask the men out. Like, you have to establish that first. So I was like, this is such new territory for me because I like I just, I don't do it. I don't think I could do it in person yet, but if it's online I'm very it's very easy for me to kind of now just send an intro message sometimes I even do it on Twitter if I come across somebody that's attractive I'll like quote tweet them and I'll just be like hi you're really cute and then just kind of park it
1: Um, I just bravo that is so (laughs) I still think I would not in a relationship however (laughs) I I think that's still uh, showing such a change
3: there's always been this uh hypersexualization of black women and how black women are you know animalistic and feral and aggressive and all of these things and these are all things that i think sometimes society can internalise and just make assumptions on and I think especially when you're fat as well it, it comes into it because it's like oh you're big so you're aggressive and you're domineering and you're this and you're that and so I get a lot of messages sort of referring to my weight or referring to my boobs or something like that and those kind of messages I just find it easy to kind of like block and delete um those kind of things um
2: and are they all by white men
3: yeah I've never been spoken to or approached by black guys or other men of color at all like ever it's always been white
2: what is that about
3: do you know what i don't know i have this theory that me and some of my other um, plus size friends have kind of been working on and it's it's a theory that's based predominantly on what i see on twitter um but then also just men in my community and how they act towards certain races so there's a lot of like misogynoir with black women from black men especially if you're plus size. What I've noticed is that black men seem to prefer plus size white women to plus size black women and that's all I think that's very much a colorism kind of um, self-hate kind of situation where they want to be have the proximity to whiteness, I think, because they probably think it makes them, it elevates their status by being with somebody that isn't dark skinned and plus size. And so I found, and I know a lot of my friends who are black and plus size have found that they are never approached by black men. Um, Anytime I'm trolled on Twitter, it's always by black men, you know, telling me to lose weight, telling me to do this. So the big things that have happened to me online in terms of things that I've spoken about. So the guy that I, Went on a date with and found out that he was paid to be on a date with me. When I told that story on Twitter, it was all black men that were just saying, Well, you're a bit of a, uh, a race traitor, and that's what you get for going out with somebody that was white, and all of these kinds of things. Can so. I just say,
2: I'm so sorry that happened
3: to you. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so, in case
2: people don't know, if you'd like to recap,
3: so basically, I started speaking to somebody on Bumble, and we went on two dates. He was really lovely really kind didn't really notice anything untoward about him at all slept together on the second day didn't really and then i didn't hear from him again and then i was just like oh okay i guess that's just what dating is you know i didn't really think anything into it forgot about him and then in february um 2019 i received an email from his friend um, which I found a bit weird, but then I remembered on our first date, I was telling him about what I do and my blog and all of that kind of stuff. And then on the second date, he was telling me that he'd shared my blog with all of his friends. And I th- at the time I was like, oh, that's really cute. Like, you must really like what I do. Um, so I received an email from his friend who got he must have gotten my email from my blog, which was public. And he went on to tell me that the reason I hadn't heard back from this guy was because they dared him to go on a date or to sleep with a fat girl um, and he won £300. Um, And so that's why I didn't hear back from him and the reason he was telling me was because something similar had happened to his sister and so he was having regrets and thinking about oh well we treated this girl like that maybe this is karma, apparently. So he felt guilty and wanted to... I guess, tell me that was the reason why. And, um, and then I wrote about it for Refinery29 because I was like, well, if he's going to get money out of it, I might as well, as well, <laughs> okay. might as well. Like, it was a horrible, horrible, such a degrading feeling, but it's yeah. something that's so common within the plus-size community. Like, it happens a lot where men or women will go out with plus-size people um, as a dare or as a um, <clears throat> um, they get paid... To do it kind of thing just it's just shocking shocking just, horrific yeah. inhumane awful behavior yeah. um did you ever feel tempted to name and shame do you know what that evening i actually posted his name email address yeah but i took it down in like two minutes because my friend who was a lawyer was like stephanie to take that down you okay. <laughs> need to take that down because i kept getting tweets from people saying, you're lying, you're lying, give us evidence, give us proof, this couldn't happen. So I post up the whole email and everything. Um, Bumble actually got in contact because after I read the article, it went viral and they sent me like a huge bouquet of flowers, which was really lovely of them. Um, I had a meeting with them and they were like, you know, this is unacceptable. We can't believe this has happened on our platform because they're all about female empowerment and, and all of this stuff. So they were like, right, give us his name and anything you can remember about him. And they banned him off of Bumble, which I thought was really awesome. But Although
1: also the least they could do. It's the least, yeah, <laughs> the least that
3: they could do.
2: But the comments on your article were mainly from black men, the, the negative
3: ones. Yeah, mainly from black men and... You know, I, I I wasn't surprised. It's really difficult sometimes to talk about it because in the black community, we're so intent on protecting black men because they get so much hassle when it comes to crime and yeah. and all of these other things. So we're, we're naturally very protective against black men. But unfortunately, the same can't be said for the other way around, okay. um, which is re- And so anytime you do get um, writers or people who have platforms who are black and we speak about issues, within the black community, people can sometimes get really um, edgy about yeah. it. But I honestly think that by not talking about it, we're just making the problem worse. Yeah. And so for me anyway, this isn't to say that, you know, all black men don't like plus size black women, but in my experience and the experiences of the other black and um, plus size women that I speak to, it's always been a preference for white plus size
1: women. I'm just interested about the sort of relative privileges because I I certainly recognise that black women seem to get the smallest share Mm. of um, value privilege everything Um, so if you are a perhaps subsection of the Mm. black woman community Mm. what does that mean for you?
3: It's it almost feels like bottom of the barrel. Um, I have spoken about this online as well before in terms of not only being black, but being plus size and black, but being darker skin plus sizes and black as well. It almost feels like we are rendered invisible. Um, I don't really know if there is like a remedy for it. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is just continuing to love ourselves and just be as confident and as unapologetic as possible. When I was younger I used to bleach my skin because I thought well I'm fat and I'm black I might as well be light skinned so I could have some privilege or I could feel somewhat prettier about myself um so i used to bleach a lot when i was younger and then i realized that my skin was kind of going like a grayish kind of tinge because of the mercury i guess Mm. and um it has mercury in it. it has high levels of mercury that's what bleaches the skin yeah but then that can also cause cancer so then i stopped and then gradually my skin came back to normal but i always like even when i see interracial relationships these days it's always maybe white men with like darker skinned black women and it's funny because I've always felt more valued by white men than black men and I know that's really controversial and I'm speaking predominantly on aesthetics. In terms of how I look it's always been a lot more well received by white men as opposed to black men and so sometimes I feel a bit like what's I feel like it's like the matrix like what's kind of going on like I feel like I've got the least amount of privilege but then There are people that have the most amount of privilege who find me attractive. So then what does that say about me? Is it a kink or am I actually attractive kind of thing? And if I am attractive, then why don't people in my community see that? So there's a lot of unpacking and sort of different... It sounds
1: exhausting. It's
3: really exhausting having to think about it and having to almost defend myself as well sometimes. You know, I, I try to stay away from having those discussions on Twitter because Twitter was just... It was so just inflammatory. Snowball and people can take things out of context. And then before you know it, you're on a gossip site. Somebody's put a headline saying that you hate black men and <laughs> all of these things, which isn't the case. But there's just so many things to to think about so now i try not to think about it and just try and see myself as just an awesome person that has a lot to offer and i just kind of want to be seen as this awesome person not just like an awesome fat black dark-skinned person yeah yeah
2: well, you went to ghana recently i did yeah for the first time in 10 years yes and um i was wondering how if at all that changes your perspective on yourself sometimes.
3: In Ghana, and I think some areas of West Africa as well, it's a lot more socially acceptable to be bigger, but it's not my kind of big. Again, it's the hourglass shape, big. It's all about the butts over there. It's like the bigger bum you have, the more gain and capital you have. So in the Ghanaian language, there's a word called, it even sounds fat, it's called obolobo. And adults would just call you that all the time. If I'm going across, even people I don't know, in the market, they'll just say, hey, I will love kind of thing. And I, I used to hate it so much. And so when I went back in uh, last May, I would still get that in the street. But my mindset had completely changed. I just kind of, like, laughed it off. With Where my family are concerned, I think because now a lot of them follow me on <laughs> Twitter and Facebook, they've been able to see my growth. One of my aunts who I used to go and stay with, she was so lovely she said to me when we were sitting down she was like Steph I remember when you used to come to the house and you were always so quiet and you'll be reading your book in the corner so it's so lovely to see you so confident and like alive and I was just like oh thanks so much like you could tell she was really proud and she was like you know you didn't let your weight hold you back and you didn't do this and you didn't do that and so hearing her say it through her mouth kind of really made me think about how far I'd come. So it was a real, yeah, eye-opening moment in terms of going back in two different frames of mind. One when I was younger and very scared and insecure, and then going back now where it was like a bit more self-assured, a bit more confident.
1: Is this self-assurance a fixed state of being, or is it in flux?
3: Oh, it's always in flux. I think when it comes to self-assurance, self-esteem, and confidence, um, and the journey with your body. It's never linear. There are always going to be points where you feel shit about yourself. And that's just because we're human beings. There are going to be days where we have good days, days where we have bad days. But I think luckily for me, I'm beginning to have a lot more good days than bad days. And that's through the practice of self-care finding you know an amazing community online of women who look like me and who celebrate themselves and so those are things that really help me especially when i'm having um, a bad day but yeah it's always a continuous kind of flux thing
2: did your family ever try and set you up with people
3: uh my grandmother still trying to to this day setting me up with random men in the us who i've never met okay and my mom's just like no you need to stop it like she's not doing that Uh, but I think because my grandmother kind of went through that when she was younger she was it was like an arranged marriage and so she still has that kind of thinking process like oh we have to introduce Stephanie to this. Did
2: you feel that having a West African heritage changed how you were taught to
3: date or to be in a relationship? Um, Maybe not the dating because I kind of feel like my parents thought I would never date just because I was so quiet so I didn't really have those chats um, but we had this thing. Well, we have this thing in West Africa, like called home training. Um, I don't know about this. So it's basically it just teaches you how to be a, a wife. Um, so it was a case of Steph, you need to learn how to cook this. You always have to give your husband the biggest part of the meat. You always have to serve the the man, the men first. Um, serve yourself last. You have to do the cooking, the cleaning. All of these things and it was so internalized with me so even now if I'm having dinner with friends and I'm cooking I always serve the men first and I don't think about it it's just the thing I always used to do and with my ex I used to do it all the time and he was just bewildered he was like Steph you know I can serve myself and I was like no 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 sit down, I'll do it and then it was it was him constantly telling me not to do it that I finally twigged no this is like this isn't feminist at all like this is a thing that's been ingrained in me since I was like 11 I think to kind of do
2: and forgive me if it's too personal yeah, but does that go into the bedroom as well is there a sense
3: of his pleasure over yours absolutely not no no, no. Uh-huh. I haven't yes. waited <laughs> I lost my virginity when I was 25 I'm like I'm not waiting around for anybody <laughs> to come first I'm not doing that sorry yeah the, the whole sex thing is It was actually, it was interesting because I always went into it beforehand thinking if the, when the time does come, would I be really nervous? All of these things that you think about, I guess, when you're like 15 or 16 and then you're losing your virginity, I'm doing this at 25. And so I was very, very nervous. But I think when the time came, I was just so ready to go that I didn't even, those thoughts didn't even enter my mind. So afterwards I was like, oh wow, like I actually went into it feeling really confident and I know that that isn't, especially for your first time, I know that that isn't an experience that's shared by a lot of other women, um, especially plus-size women, because you have the nerves. But I was just, I was really impatient.
1: <laughs> I yeah. was just like, no, let's do it. <laughs> Sometimes it's that. a positive thing to have waited in that sense.
3: Yeah, it took a long time, but when it did happen, I it was actually really positive it was a really positive experience yeah and have you been able to take
2: that through into your other sexual encounters um sort of being present in your body as opposed to kind of that third eye of what do I look like how do I feel how am I
3: coming across you know what kind of yes and no yes in the sense of the confidence is there but I've recently like done a lot of research and and I always found when when I finished when my uh relationship ended with my ex I've never been someone to do like the whole one night stand thing and it wasn't because of any moral kind of issues but I realized that I I'm pretty much a demisexual and that I can't sleep with someone that I don't really know like it's I can't be sexually attracted to somebody that I don't know really well and at first I thought that was just oh just being frigid and all of that kind of stuff but it's an actual like sexuality um definition on the asexual flag Candidate. demisexual demisexual yeah like I, I was trying to sort of figure out why I was feeling this way because there was a part of me that was like look everyone's being a hoe I want to be a hoe too I want to do my whole life I'm on a holodex I want like <laughs> I want like I want a, a book of like people I could contact because in my relationship with my ex I realized so he had an issue oh, I wouldn't care so he had an issue with like just very low libido and I was completely the opposite. So we were very ill-matched in that sense. So when that relationship came out, I was like, look, I'm ready to to go. Like, I wanna have all of these experiences. Um, But then I realized when I tried to do it, even though I found the person attractive and they found me attractive and I was confident, when the act was happening, I felt very removed from it. And I didn't feel, and still haven't felt like I've been able to enjoy it because I don't know the person, I don't really know what they're about or like, you know where they've been or sort of
2: trust actually as well. It's definitely
3: a trust thing. And I think a part of it is to do with I'm so protective over my body as well in terms of I just want to be treated normally. I don't want to be treated as a fetish or like a um, an attraction and so I'm really wary about who I let into my personal space I it guess What
1: really strikes me is that you've had to get to the point where someone who's come from a sort of minority minority mm. that makes sense who has receiving all these microaggressions constantly mm. you have to build up a lot of armour to become this body positive warrior right mm-hmm. but if you've got all this armour and you're then expected to take it all off mm. for someone that's actually incredibly vulnerable
3: Yeah yeah really so I find it very difficult to kind of get in those situations where I have to be like physically vulnerable but then it doesn't match up with my libido which is saying go 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 (laughs) but my heart or brain is just like actually wait a minute and there's there was one occasion that was just so ridiculously hilarious that now I'm a bit more restrained when it comes to like casual dating so there was a (laughs) There was an occasion where I thought, you know, for the first, because normally I don't do, I wouldn't do like a one night stand thing. I would try and get to know somebody better. But two years ago, I was like on this, okay, I'm just going to like randomly meet somebody on a site and then meet them the next day and then we'll just do it. And I'm going to just tick it off of my list of things to do. So I did that as the first and only time that I've done that. And immediately after, so he was this guy that from like Putney and he was like another sort of six foot five, eaten bread guy, like one of those kinds of like, found out he was a Tory. So like one of those sort of, yeah, the whole.
1: Did he wear red chinos or corduroys?
3: He wore corduroys, yeah. (laughs) like boat shoes.
1: I'm trying not to judge, but. uh Yeah,
3: with boat shoes, he was that type of guy. Anyway, immediately after I found, well, I didn't find out, he decided to tell me, we were having like pillow pillow talk. He decided to tell me that um, his great grandfather, the reason why he was so rich, was that his great-grandfather owned slaves um, in Jamaica and that his grandparents were supporters of apartheid. Oh, And I was sitting there just naked in the bed, just like, okay, and why are you telling me this? And he was like, I just have so much white guilt because of what my um, family have done. That's why I only sleep with black women, um, just to make up for it. The the optics of it is just the weirdest thing. Like somebody that's like very pro-black, very body positive, sleeping with a, a coloniser, basically. And I was just like, this is hilarious. Like, But then it also built the walls back a bit because I was a bit like, okay, next time Steph actually get to know the person know the a politics. little <laughs> bit before doing that.
2: Yeah, but I do think that there is good, there, there are good things to be taken from casual... Totes. Sex like and one-night stands mm. and things to that you get, especially when you're an adult, I guess. And mm. so you are learning stuff about yourself.
3: Yeah, no, it's really true. And it's still something that I'm trying to kind of get to grips with because I, I always tell my friends this, I'm like, I'm trying to do the whole life, but the whole life doesn't want to do me. Like, <laughs> And I don't want to go down the route of going into the feederism or the fetish thing because mm. I'm, I know that if I was to go into those websites, I could potentially find, be more, more or chance of me, more yeah, like more chances of me finding somebody to sleep with, but I don't want to be objectified, so I don't, it's just so difficult, like I could count on one hand how many people I've slept with in my life, like it's not that many at all, but it's like, I don't even know what, I don't know the point I'm trying to make, I think it's more, I
1: I think people sometimes feel that it's actually easier to have sex casually than it might actually be yeah. and yeah. people have this expectation that it should be super easy that you should yeah. be able to get an erection. you should be able to have an orgasm you should just yeah. it should all just work perfectly uh-huh. and you'll be in your body and I'm thinking it's the least likely time where that's all going to be fabulous yeah so I, I and I think because you're sold the story that it should be easy you think that, that you're the one that's failing and you're like actually yes. you your body just needs a bit more connection and it sounds like you've I've had this amazing um, sexual function therapist called Victoria Layman, who used to tell me all the time about how you've got your brain and it sits on a spinal cord, mm. and if you you might feel super horny up in your head, mm. but if you've got if you're worried about family, you're worried about this person, you're mm. worried about whether what they think of your body, you're worried about they feeder, you know, you're worried about all of these, things. You know, are they in atoning with slaves? You know, if you're worried about all of these things, all of that is going to cut off all the sexual information going down yeah. your spinal cord. So how are your genitals going to be interested in any of this? Yeah. How are any of these signals going around your body? How are the hormones going to be fizzing around and working for you when there's so much going on in your head that's <clears throat> yeah. not about the being present or, or sex? Yeah. So that, I think probably for most people, being present with someone requires you to know them a bit.
3: Yeah, and just be be confident enough or to to have that kind of vulnerability because I guess in my sense I'm always thinking are they with me for this? Am I are they with me because I'm black? Are they with me because I'm fat? I think when sometimes you do have these intersections, you're constantly having to be on all the time and think about, you know, all of the potential fuck-ups, <laughs> basically. Can
2: you see a way forward or any safe spaces being,
3: uh, being cultivated? I, I've always toyed around doing an idea about a dating app for plus-size people, but it would have to be manually manned. That's the only thing in terms of reading. Like, all of the profiles would have to be pre-approved you have to like no fetish free zone what we it's only for plus size people and people that like plus size people i've also spoken to bumble a few times and i've said you know i know that it might come across as being a bit like um divisive but i've always thought with things like bumble because they have height preferences and they've got um like race preferences and all of that have like a size one and i know it sounds like oh you're segregating but for people like me that find it quite difficult to date if we could have a function on there that shows all the guys that prefer bigger people it would be it would be so much better because then yeah. we could just just like right swipe to our hearts, content knowing that we could be confident talking to this person and not having in the back of our head, oh, but if he sees me, he might be this, he might be this. I can go into a conversation with somebody already knowing that they like my body type.
1: It's like the gaze on all the absolute (laughs) top or bottom, versatile, and you kind of, and I recognize absolutely the segregation. Is is it impossible for two tops or two bottoms to love each other? It is absolutely possible. And so sometimes you feel, well, actually you are reducing the potential of you meeting your ideal mate Mm. and actually perhaps you can just work out what you do sexually um, by going right I'm a a top which means I can only date someone who's versatile or a bottom yeah but I completely see why it Uh, reminds
2: me we did an episode with uh, Monty Moncrief in our first um, uh, series and mm -hmm. he was talking about how is he a Bear, Bear that he had had great difficulty dating until he found sites the uh, who of people who particularly wanted these G- people ground, who gro- looked like I him yeah. and it, cha- and oh, I and it changed his dating life completely yeah. and suddenly he felt like ah i found my people
3: oh, that's so see there needs to be something like that
1: i think it's difficult that's though so think so if you're good. for example a heterosexual woman yeah and um I'm going to try and get this thought out without sounding like a dick. (laughs) Um, But if you're a heterosexual woman, um, the pressure is more potentially on you to do the vetting.
3: Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. And to say
1: yes or say no. Yeah. And you also, therefore, have a much larger pool of men who potentially want to just basically have sex. Yeah. Um, And and you have to do all the vetting to try and work out who is who. Yeah. So that's that's much more challenging... it, it, I, I imagine.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. That's the thing, I think, because I think for the most part with men on these apps, a lot of them are just looking for one night stands and things like that. But I always thought if I was to do an app, it would be an app similar to like the Harmonies and the Match where it's like serious relationships only, um, but just for, yeah, plus size people. Um, and their admirers. And their admirers, nice. yeah. I don't know if that's the thing that could ever happen just because of how popular BBW fetishes and things are, um, but that's my my dream thing. Like
2: BBW,
3: big beautiful woman. So it's a porn fetish, um, or it's a porn category. There's different categories. There's like SBBW, which is super big beautiful woman, and then there's like another. It just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. And there's a trend. It just makes me sick that this is a trend. But there's a trend with men where It's called um, fat girl rodeo. And basically, oh, this is horrible. It's basically when a guy is there to have sex with a fat girl. While they're having sex, the guy whispers into the fat girl's ear, you're a fat pig. And then the guy has to count how many seconds he can stay inside of her while he's she's trying to get him off. And the person that stays in the longest is declared the winner, basically, among the group of friends. I think that's one of the most shocking things I've the ever heard. the most rapiest, horrible thing that I've heard and when that whole thing happened with me I was getting loads of letters from women who had gone through that and obviously they've reported it and they almost felt like they weren't believed because they were fat so you should be grateful for having sex because no one's going to find you attractive and it's yeah it's really difficult to to read and to listen to and you when you listen when you speak to girls who have essentially been raped but because they're fat it's like well, we're not going to believe you Because you should be grateful that somebody finds you attractive. And so, yeah, I try not to, I try and comment on it in terms of raising awareness, but in terms of the whole, yeah, fetish sort of aspect and those kinds of things, I try to, like, stay clear of that of that kind of thing you've got your your first book coming out yes fatally
2: ever after which is published by hardy grant coming out on the third of september
3: yes so uh my book which i still can't believe i've written a book
2: congratulations thank
3: you so the book is it's Set in three parts. So it's all about navigating society when you are plus size. This was um, inspired by the event that happened in February with the whole poly pig thing, um, because to me and my community, we see it as an everyday thing. But it went viral because there were so many people that were slimmer that didn't know that this thing existed. And so... The book just just talks about navigating certain bits of society. So if it's to do with dating, culture, um, how we're portrayed in the media, uh, mental health, physical health, all of these different aspects of life in society, how we navigate it as plus-size women, but not only plus-size women, but plus-size women of colour as well, specifically. Because I think when it comes to body positivity and that whole movement, um, it was a movement that was created by black women. And then we've slowly been pushed out for sort of your Ashley Grahams and your sort of um, slimmer, fat, high cheekboned, very attractive women being the faces of body positivity. So it's a place where I don't feel represented anymore. And so I thought it was important to write literature where we can have the voices, thoughts and opinions of black plus size women and what they've gone through. So um, the beginning of each chapter will be... um, my personal anecdote relating to the chapter names whether it's dating or mental health and then the middle will be the theory behind it the history all of these like fun facts and figures and then we'll have interviews from other plus size prominent black women in the media and industry and then uh, the end of each chapter will be like advice tips and tricks something practical that people can take from the book and then sprinkled throughout it will be perspectives of black plus-size women that I've interviewed um, throughout the year and they get to share their stories and how they feel about certain things. Stephanie's book,
2: "Fatally Ever After, The Black Girl's Guide to Living Unapologetically, will be published by Hardy Grant Books on the 3rd of September this year. It's a love letter to plus-size black women. You can pre-order a copy on her website, stephanieyeboa.com.
1: Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoyed this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes.
2: It really does help other people find us and gives the series a boost. Give us five stars, you lovely lad.
1: Thank you to Acast for hosting us.
2: Matt Peaver for editing us. Olly Birch for the music.
1: And Gilad Vesotsky for the graphics.
2: Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex and of course...
4: Pleasure.